connect in and and share and show and if you're sitting at home and you've got these kind of bookfuls of poetry and that feels like a really like brave thing to do just start with a local writing group start with you know libraries there are loads of these things and just show some other people and there's a real gift in that hello this is Susie Walker host of the how I wrote my book podcast We're a friendly writer's community who meet online to connect, be inspired, and feel happy as we write our books. This episode is brought to you by the Annex Story Fest, taking place on February the 24th to the 26th, 2023, in the magical town of Annex, Northumberland, where stories come to life. The Annex Story Fest is bringing our community and visitors together to have fun, make new friends, and be inspired by the stories we love. You can buy your tickets now at AnnexStoryFest.com. Hello, I'm Susie Walker, host of How I Wrote My Book podcast. Every week, I will interview one of the brilliant writers coming to the Annex Story Fest about where they get their ideas from, what inspires them, and how they write their books. This week, we're talking to Mim Skinner. Mim is a writer and social entrepreneur living in County Durham. She's the co-founder of Refuse, an organisation which intercepts and redistributes food that would normally go to landfill. Her debut non-fiction book, Jailbirds, won her a place on the L list of Game Changers of Now. Her latest book, Living Together, Searching for Community in a Fractured World, takes us on a journey around the UK's communes, eco-villages and co-living spaces to find a more compassionate, connected and sustainable way to live. Tell me about what inspired you to write this book. Okay, so Living Together is a story of a journey that I've been on with my partner and our baby uh, for this year. Well, and actually for the last kind of 10 years, really, around how we want to live. I spent my 20s living in a community and it was a really dynamic house where we slept in bunk beds and then the rent could cover a spare room and that was open for emergency housing. And that dinner table was just full uh, every night with people from all different walks of life. And it was a place of um, activism and it was just constantly evolving and changing and loads of projects came out of that house. And the social enterprise that I still run now, uh, a warehouse that collects food that would otherwise go to waste, um, came out of those kind of dreams at that kitchen table. And it was an amazing space, uh, but just really wasn't compatible with our adult life when we grew up, the kind of things we wanted to do. Maybe that was long-term relationships or children or or needing to care for parents and things like that and so we moved out um when we got married and lived in a yeah quite typical way in a in a semi um which we (laughs) decorated and I guess as the world has changed and felt more precarious um climate breakdown um divisions within society kind of political extremes cost of living we've been thinking again can we live kinder ways fairer greener more compassionate where the way that we live is more aligned with our values there are people all over the UK in these small pockets who are doing that and who are doing it much more successfully than we did for much longer some of these communities have been going for decades you know the monastic movements have been going for millennia (laughs) and um, I guess I wanted to learn from them so the book is a piece of narrative nonfiction about that journey of going to visit people who've been 
living communally, living in ways that are greener, fairer, more affordable, um, innovative all around the UK and some in Europe. That's kind of the research portion. Alongside that, there the book uh, contains a kind of memoir portion about us trying that journey again. So we moved uh, at the beginning of this year, first for a trial period and then out of our other house into a community farm living with, with two other couples kind of experimenting about whether our life now um, with a young family and with careers and with responsibilities is still compatible with that that dream to live um, slightly differently from the the status quo which is these kind of individual households. So the book is yeah something I wrote on the move it's very much kind of follows that journey it's funny going back to the the early chapters now I had to kind of force myself not to change them with hindsight because the kind of reflections I had and the things I was thinking in the place where I was really changed across the end of the book and I thought oh no I don't know if I think that anymore but actually part of the writing process that it was quite important to have that time stamp in terms of my um yeah reflections and thinking and to to bring somebody who's reading it along on that journey from where I started your book is what I love about it is is that it's an exploration of these different ways of living but also your kind of personal recounting of that is is kind of delightful and authentic this is what I really love about it tell me a little bit you say you wrote it on the move tell me about what was your writing process how how did you write on the move so I'm one of those people potentially it's because I have ADHD so I'm much better at just doing things in these moments of motivations than kind of writing a plan and and spacing it out so it's not that I've decided this mode of writing is the best one it is just the one available to me (laughs) and my brain yeah what I would do uh, is go on these community visits and and they were quite intense like the first one I spent um a week living with the Bruderhof um who uh yeah have the same roots as Amish community they're Mennonite um and they live completely without individual finance. And so for two hours a day, I was writing just like diarying, just reflections. And then uh, for the rest of the day, I was working in the laundry and in the wooden toy factory. Um, and so it was very, very immersive in all the places I went to. Lots of, um, every place included lots of interviews. So those I kind of, rather than using software a lot of the time, kind of personally scribed out uh transcribed which I found quite helpful in terms of just really listening to the stories I mean that's interesting because as a journalist I often I use the software to transcribe and in the olden days I used to transcribe my own interviews and you're right when you revisit it it's when you listen it again you, you you go deeper into that kind of interview so has that made a difference do you think to this book transcribing it all yourself yeah so I didn't try I did use some software but even when I used it I'd then kind of go over it all again almost yeah manually um as it were I think it does potentially because in the moment I'm actually not a great interviewer I can I'm more thinking about my questions and the answers which is the wrong way around isn't it and so it almost gives me the chance to to be in the interview (laughs) rather than kind of doing the interview if you see what I mean in terms of whether that changed the end product yeah that's interesting I really really hope that it it feels like a true reflection um 
of what was said by the people in it. The process um, also involved with, with lots of the communities where I did interviews, uh, a kind of co-editing process, which, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't mean giving editorial control over to the communities. Not all the communities felt like, oh, that's exactly what we'd want to say about ourselves. Um, but it involved getting to a point where everyone was able to say that, yeah, that's true about us and going back and forth. Uh, and, th- and that was just because a number of the communities, I guess, are um, minority groups, even if that is just about the kind of tradition they've chosen. So kind of, yeah, the naturists, I kind of saw themselves as a, as a queer space and the yeah, they were kind of religious minorities within that. So with those groups, not with the kind of commercial projects, as well as kind of listening to those again and just giving myself another chance to to really hear the stories, we did some kind of back and forth in terms of the editing process. So you were doing interviews and you've got your memoir piece. How do you put it all together? So you say the, the kind of ADHD brain. I find that the hardest thing. And when I'm talking to you know other writers, it's like we, we have this massive mountain of words. Then what? So how, how do you do it? Yeah, that is really interesting. So with this, it was just chronological. Um, and actually, I kind of thought, oh, these chapters are a bit too similar. I should jog them round. But um, what was helpful in this is I didn't have to do too much of that legwork editorially because you can't really switch things around and unlearn what you learned at the previous visit so I was almost like pushed into a format um which yeah it's helpful for me because left to my own devices I am not a great editor again I'm yeah I'm with you I, I have a pile of words but also I really really benefit from working with an editor I'm really aware that I have some blind spots in terms of final product I don't know if lots of writers have this but the kind of zoning in on something that becomes really important to you and then have someone say I think you've spent a lot of time talking out a minute aspect of woodwork there that's not very interesting (laughs) I kind of need that so lacking the ability to see a kind of finished product and sometimes be critical about my own work I'm really good at receiving criticism (laughs) which yeah you kind of need to counterbalance being a bit of a hyper focuser and not necessarily being able to put the product together I think yeah that's okay to have that deficiency as a writer as long as you're able to kind of hear it from somebody else I mean that feedback piece I think again it's really important but how do you deal with your kind of own inner critic so and you know when you're hearing feedback how do you kind of separate that from oh my god it's really rubbish and I to uh okay this is yes I just need to do this this and this do you ever get the attack of your inner critic do you know less in the moment because I'm I know I need it so I have to make myself hear it but since the book has gone into print I've at least once a day thought what is this pile of rubbish I'm putting out into the world how embarrassing shall I just not promote it because then no one will have to read this rubbish book I've just written I guess I am really deadline driven like I can I'm that awful procrastinator that that can sit on something for months and months and then the week before kind of panic write it which takes away too much time to for the kind of anxiety surrounding feedback but then (laughs) what happens is it all goes nicely into print where you can't change it anymore and I think 
please can we bury this pile of rubbish <laughs> and need lots and lots of reassurance from my family and friends that it's okay <laughs> people aren't gonna hate it yeah I mean it's, it's very interesting so many writers with that kind of feeling of doubt that creeps up on us and it's I think for so many of us I read a statistic the other day is like 80 percent of people want to write a book and five percent of people do and when I ask writers about why you know or aspiring writers often it is that kind of inner critic you know the doubt that stops them from getting you know apart from just the the skill of it which is a whole different thing it's also that kind of inner dialogue which kind of stops you in your track that doesn't surprise me it's I often think about the audacity of thinking people in the world are going to care enough about what I have to say that they are going to spend 14 pounds on a book and then spend their valuable time reading it like that is bold I think that every time I pitch something like wow clearly I've got to have some confidence that I'm sending in this stuff saying oh I think you might want to hear what I have to say (laughs) it is um yeah there's like a level of confidence necessary for that even if it's twinned with oh no I wish I hadn't sent it it's terrible so what do you think it is so if you're one of the five percent what is it that that sort of drives you or what what is it that actually makes you kind of go forward I mean with with Jailbirds with your first book did you have a commission for that uh, yeah yeah I, okay. I I did with both of those and actually I've kind of struggled to finish things that I haven't known are gonna have a home at the end of it I've started oh my gosh tons of novels but I think the to actually push it over that finishing point I've the motivation that this is going to end up even if no one reads it it's going to end up printed some somewhere I do find really motivating also financially I mean like it's such a a time constraint and I love doing it and I did it in my spare time for a long time before anyone was going to put it anywhere but like the the ardor the struggle of that bit where you have to be really critical and edit it into a final thing and almost like the real legwork that isn't just the joy of writing all the stuff that happens outside of that that's not as fun that's the part that I struggle to do if I think this might not make it into you know a printed page where people might read it or a website or something like that I blog I mean I blogged a lot and before that as well Again, that motivation of that blog's going to be out in the world and no one might read it. I've put it on my blog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, again, it's just that how do we keep going, you know, when it, because a blog feels more doable, doesn't it? Because you can write it and then it's up and then it's out in the world. But with a book, it's, it's such a long process. How long does it take you to write a book? These non-fiction ones have taken me about six months apiece. But as I said, I've, my novel that I'm, working on forever (laughs) has taken me many many years of of chipping away at and walking away and coming back to you and I think that's just the nature of writing fiction and non-fiction and also the kind of therapeutic value of writing kind of that research and memoir and personal journey stuff means that it can be quite motivating to finish I mean this one was time stamped in the sense that like it ended up with us moving into a community ourselves so that is the narrative arc 
in many ways. And so it has a kind of easy top and tail in that it's being top and tailed by my real life. <laughs> but my fiction book, which obviously exists in outside of real life in a fictional way, yeah. that there isn't that physical boundary, that there's not a kind of, okay, the narrative arc is finished because your life has changed. <laughs> Yeah, means that my writing process on that has been a huge amount more conversational. Like I'll I'll come back to it, I'll work on it a bit, I'll go away, like in conversation with my own imagination in a way that the the nonfiction hasn't been. Do you find it? I think I am trying to write a memoir. Um, I'm you know working with lots of people who are writing memoirs, and the problem is is when you're in the story, it can be and living the story. And how hard has it been for you to live the story and write the story? Because, you know, there is a narrative arc. Just because it's a memoir doesn't mean that there isn't a craft to it. And sometimes kind of, as you say, maybe changing things around a little bit or shortening something or to make it stand as a story. How How do you manage that? How do you do that? Yeah, that's interesting. The kind of thing I've most thought in terms of that is that the story in my life doesn't end but in the book the narrative arc's finished and that I find tricky because actually there's been loads of challenging things about um living in community and you know I'm not at a point now where I think oh we'll do this forever and there are you know we haven't yet built on this land we're renting we're in a kind of temporary space but the book ends with and we're going to try it ourselves and so everyone's like brilliant well let's come visit your community and for me I'm like oh um well the thing is we're not quite there yet and we're, we're just trying and uh, I'm still in that place of indecision and searching and working out what's right for us but in the mind of someone who reads it like oh great the conclusion is communal living's the way forward off she goes like and lots of people doing publicity about the book have said, oh, and tell, you know, tell us how it is now and, and take photos of your life and do Instagram stories. And for me, I'm like, oh, it's not finished. No, I'm in it. Yeah. I'm in it now. We haven't neatly concluded for, for a kind of like <laughs> a photograph or an article. And so I've really, really felt that. But actually, in my last book, I, that felt much more of a dynamic this kind of real life and the story for the reader um, in that lots of the women that were in that book and who I still know now, are their lives went on in a number of different ways after that. And I mean, that was, again, co-editing went on there. So people were happy with how they came in the story. But then what if the end of that story is drug recovery and then you have a relapse and you almost I'm really conscious that that person has in some way been pinned to a midpoint in the story a narrative yeah yeah Yeah. and then that tension I guess always exists and it might mean that come six months I feel really embarrassed that I've concluded in some way and you know it didn't turn out like that and how do you come to terms with that? How do you feel that you can live with that? It's like, well, that was my process. That was where I was at the time. I don't think I have come to terms with it, but I am a person that feels kind of okay in like this grey liminal space. I'm not necessarily someone who lives in neat conclusion 
and I'm like forever going back on things I said kind of living in disagreement with myself and I guess that's just a a personality thing that lends itself quite well to memoir I just think it is interesting in terms of writing memoirs that kind of trying to craft a story but also live it I think it's a really interesting journey to go and you've done it sort of twice now can you tell me a little bit about the the process of writing for you literally how do you do it do you write it every day at the same time six o'clock in the morning do you write it longhand you have a little computer do you how do you do it I have absolutely no process. I am one of those people who's like, oh, I'm going to get a new notebook and I'm going to read the artist's way and I'm going to do it in this particular thing. And that really only lasts a very, very short period of time, sadly. The writing was really tied to place and I'd just write and write and write on my laptop um, in a particular place and try and really like capture. I have this sense of like, oh, I've got to capture these words and these thoughts, otherwise they're gone. They're not available to me tomorrow. So I'd kind of frantically write and write and write on location and then sometimes come back to it and think what is this yeah it's almost like mining that mining that kind of raw thought material into okay well this is this is guff you obviously sort of didn't (laughs) didn't find the gold that day but yeah (laughs) then within that I'd kind of be captured back to a thought and be like yeah that is the way I phrased that still makes sense to me still feels true and right on that I mean it also helped to have huge amount of this kind of raw interview data so that if I sat down one day and felt like I don't know how to stitch these series of thoughts into a story I could then go back to those interviews whether that was write them or listen to them and kind of put myself partially back in that geographical place where I could then kind of write and write and write about a particular thing interestingly the the almost more kind of academic section for me took much 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 longer so the book begins with a kind of section exploring the way that we live so kind of looking at data around household signs and around loneliness and looking at the different ways that people have lived across time and that is yeah a very very different way of writing and that took me a year to pull together that was the kind of content that I pitched almost at the beginning and so felt really different and was much much kind of slower wins than this very immersive kind of diarying that I have to pick apart it almost felt like completely different writing processes for those two different sections yeah, so I, I yeah. Like kind of reporting journalism, isn't it? The kind of the research and the other piece was much more from your heart, your journey, wasn't it? So it works really well. Oh, thank you. Thank it works you. Really well, do you ever procrastinate? Yeah, oh, massively so. And I tell you what, there's absolutely no better place to procrastinate than living on a community farm because there's people everywhere and there's, you know, the village popping in and out and vegetables and chickens and there's like, a hundred different ways to do valuable things that are not writing yeah I've spoken to a number of other people about this and I met somebody who said my goal is to write a hundred words a day oh and if I spend a whole morning kind of going for a walk and flicking about and thinking about it and then I write a hundred words then I'll still have a novel at some point I'll still have a finished book they were really, really not judgmental with themselves about that time it took. Yeah. 
And I would have, I'd love to do that because I can be very, like, well, a thousand words or nothing today. Otherwise, you have failed your word count. And again, I'm probably driven by some of that as well. But that struck me as just like a really amazing way to write because it kind of fits around everything else, I guess. You you can come home from work and then think 100 words. It's quite freeing that. If you write your 100 words a day, like that's that's pretty doable. Even if you're not in the right headspace and even if that's not going to be something you use, it's almost quite easy to not disappoint yourself not to kind of feel guilt around that and and this was a quite kind of successful writer that that told me that and and I can it really struck me she was like, and every time I do over 100 words you know that's fantastic and I can get stuck in the writing and do it and do it and do it but I if I've done 100 words then there's no kind of self-chastising and I thought oh my gosh I'd really like to be able to get into that mindset and, and I think also it's about staying connected to the story. Sometimes if I leave my writing for a while and then don't get to it, it takes me ages to get back into it. So, mm-hmm. if I, you know, I love the idea of just writing every day, a hundred words, because you're, it's easier somehow. What writing tips have you got? A newbie writer's coming to you and says, I've got this idea. Uh, let's say it's nonfiction, creative nonfiction. I'd like to do it. What advice would you give? For me, what was really important was showing people there is a real discipline in showing people and there's loads of like online like competitions you can submit to if that's kind of like poetry or novel and and you know I'm not talking about going get an eight you know pitch for an agent go to a publisher I don't mean that at all because actually I think that can that can derail writing sometimes because you're thinking suddenly not about your creative process but about you know this customer and you're kind of seeing it in terms of productivity but showing people go to a writing group, read it out to other people, put your poetry in a competition. For me, that was the most, when I started doing that and started kind of putting myself in the slipstream of other people that were writing and saying like, here's what I've done, I hope it's okay. That was just so skill building and confidence building. And I was able to really like learn off other people. And so absolutely connect with other writers and kind of plugged in I, I love the um the magazine Mislexia that's yeah. in Newcastle yeah. for that reason because I I can kind of clock into okay these are how this is how people are writing you know this podcast is fantastic for that because it's plugging yourself in to a kind of slipstream of thought around storytelling that suddenly makes you feel like you can probably do it too and actually there's there's like joy in it and there's struggle in it and all of those things that you're feeling and thinking and assuming that oh no this is a unique process to me you suddenly think oh actually we all go through this process where we think what we write is complete trash and have to like pat ourselves in the back oh they're there it's probably all right and that's really part of it so I would just say connect in and and share and show and if you're sitting at home and you've got these kind of bookfuls of poetry and that feels like a really like brave thing to do just start the local writing group start with you know libraries there are loads of these things and just show some other people and there's a real gift in that yeah it's a really really great advice thank you I just want to go back to a final question about your actual book living together so it has been a huge kind of emotional journey as well as a practical journey about exploring this idea of community living 
what are the what are the things that you have learned on this journey about that yeah what have I learned I guess I've learned how little I know <laughs> is the kind of main thing I was just so lucky and inspired to meet these people who have been just plodding away in the minutiae of community building for decades you know, these amazing women in fact yesterday in the post I received just the most beautiful beautiful blanket that had been knitted for me by one of the grandmas from the the Bruderhof the, the kind of the community I mentioned at the beginning and you know she's been in that community for years and years and years and her husband came to it from having been in the Russian gulags and um, having been a, a, a Jewish guy who's had to flee the Holocaust. And she had spent hours knitting this blanket for our new baby. And that for me is just is a massive challenge in terms of thinking that what we do needs to be OK, we need to do it now and we need to kind of have this perfect thing and I need to be able to get our community vision in ship shape and then I can talk about it like with such that generation like that kind of personal PR generation where we polish our lives for product and even more so if you're writing memoir because like in some level what I'm saying is that my life is interesting enough for you to read about it I mean is that what I'm saying and that kind of slow unapplauded plod you know, I, I met that Oma Ruth, she's called. I met her, you know, a few times across a week. We had a cup of tea and she'd remembered that I was having a baby and had spent hours knitting this blanket from spun wool. And that kind of value in things that seem kind of small and, and gradual and I guess unimpressive and you wouldn't necessarily have an Instagram post at the end of it or a, be able to kind of wrap it up in a story. Actually, that's where the story is sometimes. And that's where the value is in this, the kind of process and the unseen and the unapplauded. And that's something I really, really need to learn because we're almost sometimes pinned to the outcomes. I don't know if um, yeah. that's more so in younger generations, but. Uh, no, no, for me too. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> this kind of um, media has amplified that. Yeah, I call them in the book these glory stories that like you want to have a before and after. You want to have this neat conclusion, this kind of shiny product to produce. And yeah, writing the book, I kind of was in the mindset where I'm going to visit all these people and then I'm going to discern what is the most brilliant way to live in our, you know, kitschy little train carriage on growing our own hipster vegetables and then I'll be able to tell people and actually that's kind of guff like that's not the story the story is that we're still in the middle of it and it's complicated and I'm not sure it will work and I'm, I'm hopeful but um actually that hope's pretty audacious like we don't know that we can do this and actually the story is this kind of slow plod this kind of blanket knitted for someone who's really not much more than a stranger and the kind of the kindness and that is in that small thing and that for me has been a yeah a learning curve for sure yeah that's I mean it's a metaphor but I, it actually makes me feel quite emotional because as you say it's that the slow and the the care and the kindness is 
is perhaps what we're really reaching for, isn't it? But I think that's what your story does. That's what your story weaves together. But thank you for your courage for writing this amazing book. I, I know that it's going to go on to be a massive bestseller. Um, oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of solved a problem, but also it's it's an honest, honest account of, of your journey. So thank you very much uh, for joining us. I am so looking forward to meeting you in person at the Annex Story Fest. Um, and I know that you're going to be doing a session for us about how, how we can live beautifully together um, uh, on the Saturday, the 25th of February. So thank you, Mim, for, for meeting me today and for sharing your wisdom with us. Yeah, thank you. It's so nice to chat. Thank you for listening to How I Wrote My Book podcast. If you want to join a friendly writing community, do join us at howiwrotemybook.com. Big thank you to all our partners and sponsors. Annex Story Fest is brought to you by Annex Gardens, Annex Town Council, Annex Castle, Annex Playhouse, Northumberland Estates, Northumberland County Council Community Chest, the Bailiff Skate Museum, Barter Books, the Accidental Bookshop, and our free kids program is sponsored by Yopa and Helen Kelly, our local friendly online estate agent. Thank you also to Alcon and Turnbull's Northumbrian Food. You can buy your tickets now at annexstoryfest.com.